we're going to be talking about why you should consider adding small grains to your operation to maximize cover crop benefits. Now that title is about as long as you can make a title, but I couldn't figure out how to short it to say to shorten it to say what I wanted to say. So uh, it's it's one of those topics that can get uh, a little interesting when you start talking to people, uh, especially uh, for for farmers who maybe kind of really locked into uh, their rotation and they don't want to screw that up at all. And I understand that, but uh, some of the, the the typical things that we hear uh, from people is, well, I, I'm not going to grow small grains because there's no money in it. And to be fair, um, if there was a lot of money in, probably everybody would be planting them. So, so that's a that's I'm going to acknowledge that right up front. Um, also, a market limitation that is uh, another barrier and uh, one that does need to be addressed. Uh, although I think sometimes people use that excuse a little bit too casually. I don't really think they've tried or thought about how they could have a market. Um, and maybe they're just too comfortable, like I said, with, with uh, corn and beans or whatever their rotation is. It's, I just don't want to change. And and I get that too. But uh, for farmers who uh, want to, maybe from their context, think outside of the box or or actually look at what a difference they could make by changing some things in their management by adding small grains. Now, I'm going to define small grains here as uh, as as pretty much the barley, wheat, oats, uh, triticale. Like I'm going to talk a little bit about later, but kind of the common ones out there, ones that are harvested generally over the summer months. So obviously the majority probably would be wheat, but uh, we're going to lump that all together today. And we're just going to talk about adding a cash crop to the crop rotation that is harvested in the summer, which is typically the small grains. So why would we want to think about that? What are some of the reasons here? Well, there's some stuff that's obvious. I think everybody would, would acknowledge, you know, we're trying to build the soil biology uh, is, is certainly a basic uh, reason for doing this. And the whole aspect of diversity, um, nobody, nobody says diversity is a bad thing. Uh, at least anybody who's really wrapped up in uh, learning how soil functions and so forth. Uh, diversity of cash crops, um, diversity of mixed species of cover crops, which obviously when we have uh, a window to plant in the middle of summer, we got lots and lots of species that we can plant simultaneously to really take advantage of that opportunity. That's the reason to add small grains. Uh, legumes for nitrogen production. Because I will say this, I've said it often, the price of nitrogen's really, um, I'll just say fair right now, but everybody would agree that things happen in the world that are beyond our control, even from an agricultural standpoint. Some year, the price of nitrogen will be higher. I don't, again, say that as a threat. I just say it as good business sense to be looking at legumes for nitrogen production or some of our nitrogen production in our cash crop. This is an opportunity we have because in most of our cash crops, there's very little time to plant a legume. Uh, and, and so this is, again, why we would want to consider legumes uh, for the nitrogen production aspects. And then if we're trying to increase our organic matter, we've lost half our organic matter over the last hundred years in this country. Why? Because too much tillage, number one, and number two, lack of diversity, uh, I would have to say, is part of that. So, you know, here's an option where we can insert that, another plant, in the context of a small grain, and then follow up with cover crops to be able to address that issue of organic matter that either is decreasing or is stabilized at a lower level than it used to be. And then another one here I just have is we can fix or enhance bad fields or poor quality fields. Uh, small grains give more of an option uh, to, to be able to do that. And I am going to be showing you some data coming up here. Four different times I looked at the value that 
cover crops after small grain will give to the following corn crop. The result is higher yields every single time. Without exception, I've always had higher yields after a small grain and a cover crop for my corn. And I hear this repeatedly, and I, I guess it's probably the foundation of the premise why I say that this is something that you need to consider adding small grains to get more profit at the end of the year in the context of your cropping system. Now, there's a few other things here <clears throat> when uh, we talk about adding why we add small grains. For some, there is some value in the straw. And I'm going to expound on that a little bit more in some pictures coming up here. So the uh, the value of the straw could be considered part of the cash crop. Now, here in the east, where I'm from, this is a significant value, and I will say sometimes more value than the grain itself uh, some years. Uh, I also understand not every area of the country has a market for the straw. Or do you even want to take that straw off because you want that straw for the soil? Now, I like to say that I've earned the right to be able to sell my straw. Uh, but then again, I'm in a higher rainfall area. I can get biomass produced. I can plant a cover crop, a mixed species cover crop immediately after harvest. And we can, uh, it can go about that way. So what's right for me isn't necessarily right for you or vice versa. <clears throat> Another frequent use of small grains is to use uh, to install tile after the harvest of the small grain. In the summertime, it's usually drier, better uh, conditions to install tile. So uh, that's kind of maybe one of the more popular reasons why some farmers have planted a cover crop in the, especially in the Midwest, uh, is, a, is a reason to install tile. But I'm just going to list it here. The other thing is if you have some perennial weed issues like thistles, uh, hemp dog bane, dock, whatever perennial weed you have in your area, if you take a small grain off, leave it grow, and then the end of, end of August, beginning of September, when it's getting ready, uh, putting root reserves down for the winter, it's a great time to kill it with a herbicide because uh, it's taking that herbicide down. It's a whole lot easier to kill a perennial weed in late summer than it is uh, late spring or early spring. So this sometimes could be a reason to justify a, uh, of putting a small grain in your rotation. Now, of course, most of these things I'm suggesting here are there's there's compilation of multiple things here to make it really, really work. But I'll just tell you that I've used this strategy to get rid of some perennial weeds uh, by using a small grain because you have a better chance to kill them. For those of us who have uh, animals, uh, spreading manure is definitely gives you an option and you can plant a cover crop right away to take up those nutrients compost uh, I get some mushroom soil in here uh, they 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 want to get rid of that mushroom soil year-round and for me it's an advantage because a lot of farmers do not want it during the summer there's no room to put it so I get a big discount sometimes it's free uh, they, they just dump it off here because there's no place to go well I take my small grains off and I spread it and everybody's happy. So um, that's just another option uh, to do that. Now, I mentioned that I want to talk about the straw a little bit. This is just my place. And yes, we like our flex heads. We take it right down to the ground and, and, and it's like we're cutting soybeans pretty much. And, and uh, you may ask, you know, what's the value? Because you're probably curious. This year I sold out of the field for $130 a ton, big bales. And that's the market that I have. I know that most of you probably don't have a market like that. I do. Uh, some people have told me, well, I'm surprised, Steve, that you're actually taking that straw off. Isn't that valuable nutrients you're removing from your field? I'm like, you bet it is. I get that. I understand that. But I'm very high in phosphorus uh, because mainly of historic manure use. I don't need it. I don't use as much anymore because the, the, the sources of that manure has dried up in my neighborhood. Uh, but that being said, I, I still have um, uh, plenty of nutrients there. Plus, I've been in this system for 30 years now or more in some of my fields. 
and and we got you know looking for nutrients is not a big deal. And then as I'll show you some pictures here, you know we go right back in here and plant this with a multi-species mix. So as I said, I like to say I've earned the right to do that. Uh, one of the things that I've struggled with because of my high biological activity is to make sure there's more residue than just the stubble of the wheat or the small grain, whatever it is. Uh, this here is a, I, I took this picture intentionally that I like to set my fields up that I realize uh, like if I plant my wheat into corn, uh, which I don't tend to like to do, but I'll still have those corn residue on the ground. In this case here, if you look closely, uh, you may be able to figure out this was a pumpkin field that had been rolled down with triticale. Now, if you see the old triticale stalks are still there, you see a few pumpkin vines left, no-tilled um, uh, wheat into this residue, my soil is still covered. Now, there were times where I would have zero soil covered at wheat, except the standing stalks, and that's not much coverage. Uh, that's not that's not good enough for me. This is my goal right there, what you see. So <clears throat> I'm giving you a few little things here that uh, will will show you what's behind my thinking and what I do. So I'm going to pause for a little bit. I would I'd appreciate uh, if there's any comments or questions. Then I'm going to go in and I'm going to show you the data that I have on my farm. So I'm unmuting everybody and uh, just wonder if there's any comments or questions up to this point. Hey, Steve, this is Lloyd. Uh, yeah. Uh, having your residue, isn't that a uh, symbol or an indication that your biology uh, isn't working very well from, you know, a previous year? Well, that's a great question. Uh, my problem had been, Lloyd, that I was losing all the residue because of that. But you got to understand, this triticale was, was pollinating, pollinating the year before. Um, so that's fully mature. That's the difference. If I would have went in there and terminated that triticale at boot stage or less, there would be zero left. Um, my experience has been once a, a, a cover crop, in this case a, a, a triticale, once it's fully headed, uh, it's going to last about a year uh, because the C to N ratio is so high. And yes, uh, I, I mean, trust me, you can you can look at my soils when you come visit my farm here. But uh, I have learned the value of letting cover crops go full maturity, if possible, and I can in my pumpkin fields. I can't so much in my corn fields, okay, uh, but still to, to try to be able to do that. So that's a great question, but I'll defend it by saying because it was mature cereal rye, uh, it's still there. But that's an excellent question. Other comments, questions? Okay, we're going to move on. Um, the next, uh, I have a series here of four different slides that will show some uh, of the research I've done. Now, this research, there was there was different things going on. I just want to, I'm just showing you the context here of the effect of small grains. Now, some of these <clears throat> were comparing planting cover crops versus double crop soybeans after small grains. And that does depend what part of the country you're in. I happen to be kind of the northern edge almost uh, where they typically plant double crop beans after wheat. I'm not going to talk about that today. I got webinar on that. You can go back and look at it if you want to. But I'm just showing this is some data from some of that. What I want, what I want you to see here is on the right-hand side, um, is where there's some cover crops, in this case, tillage radish and tillage sun, which is sun hemp, planted after the, in this case, wheat came off. And if you look over there all the way to your left, you'll see the control in red. That was no cover crop after the small grain. The effect we got there, you can see there was an increased effect. Now, in this experiment here, the second one in from the left is the dark blue. It says all the covers. That was a combination of all the different cover crop treatments we had done. So when you throw them all together, you got a really, really solid number. And in this case here, it's uh, around a 10 or 12 bushel, I believe 12 bushel increase, uh, what all the cover crops gave. Now, just a little bit of background. This is replicated three times 
uh, in 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 a field. So it's it's pretty good solid data. So let's just move on to another one here. It's a different uh, experiment. Now on this one here, what you're looking at is the yield increase, the yield increase over the control. So let's just we just want to really pay attention to the numbers on the the charts on the right. Again, that was looking at radishes and sun hemp. There was a the homestead is a mix of radish, sun hemp, and um, and sorghum sedan grass. Um, the greedy beans is my way of talking about double crop soybeans. And I'll just say I am not against double crop soybeans because further south that is a pretty standard practice, and I I understand that's a part of the cropping system. But usually in their areas, those areas, they have a little time where they can get a cereal rye in, like after those double crop beans come off. In my area, our double crop beans don't come off till around Thanksgiving is when we'd like to have them off. There's not much time have anything to grow after that. So, um, again, just real quick, I'm just showing you here, we get yield benefits after we plant a cover crop after a small grains. We get yield benefits for our following corn crop. This is my take-home message. Okay, here's another one. Uh, in this case here, it's a totally different field, different year, everything. If you just want to go to the chase, cut the chase here, the bottom uh, shows you there, we got a 12-bushel yield increase when we planted cover crops after the small grain. Now, if you're interested, you'll see the nitrogen rates there um, where we had uh, zero nitrogen, half rate of nitrogen, full rate of nitrogen. It didn't matter what rate of nitrogen, when you compare it against themselves, wherever we had cover crops, we always had higher yields. And I, I've seen this so many times now that uh, I'm, very, I'm, ac I'm very confident in it, in the accuracy of this statement, uh, that cover crops, no doubt, can give you higher current, current yields the following year. Now, this is a very complex slide, and just saying I'm not going to go through this whole thing. I just wanted to show you that in this in this example here, where uh, you look at the planting dates, and on the left-hand side over here, August the 18th, September 5th, October the 3rd is the planting dates. And when we planted early, after a small grain, we got a nice yield bump here uh, that, that really is significant uh, over a control. And again, that's what I'm, I'm just trying to prove the effect that cover crops can have after a small grain. Now, you know, we want to run the numbers, and um, I'm sort of a numbers guy. Um, I don't, you know, portray to be like, no, my cost of production down to the penny. But when you pile this all together, and I actually added everything up, divided out, I got an average over four different specific times that we checked. 16 bushels increased the corn yield the following year. Well, you know, depending how you figure corn, a little under $4, that's $60 per acre more profit. So if you're just crunching numbers, um, you know, it's, it's like this is worth talking about. Now, again, I'm not saying that your wheat or your small grain would have given as much profit as corn or maybe soybeans. Probably wouldn't be hard to beat them uh, uh, this year. But think of all the other benefits you're getting as well and 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 so forth um so so these are just some of the this is where i kind of come out um if again the price of nitrogen increases uh because of the availability or the opportunity to use cover crops to use legume cover crops to provide for your corn uh this number could even be higher or at least the profit margin could be even be higher if you can cut your nitrogen costs so how about if I stop there for a second to see if there's any comments um, on, on this here, the profitability of this. And I'm going to wrap it up with giving a little some specifics here of, of, of how you can actually do this. I want to go a little bit deeper in that. But uh, anyone have any comments so far uh, what I've said here about the, the validity of using small grains? Anything you want to add or any comments you have? How about Dave? You still on Dave from uh, uh, Illinois? Uh, you're you're in the yeah. corn soybean mecca. 
you know, it's corn soybeans yeah. and hardly anything else. What's what's your read on what I'm talking about here today? Is this is this total hogwash to the typical farmer, or is there something here that maybe we need to be looking at? No, absolutely. Uh, I was actually in a meeting last week down by Carbondale, and um, with a group of, I don't know, there's probably 15 or so farmers in there talking about cover crops and small grains and stuff. And and actually what you just brought up about the corn following a wheat, there was a couple farmers that had made the comment that their corn yields were always a little better when they followed a wheat. Okay. Um, and, and that goes back to even, you know, a lot of guys were, were doing some red clover in with their their wheat too, uh, kind of frost seeding it uh-huh. um, and then using that as a, you know, taking that stubble hay off, uh, mm-hmm. clover hay. Mm-hmm. Uh, for cattle feed mm-hmm. um, and still getting a, mm-hmm. a little bit of a nitrogen benefit right but you know another thing you, you mentioned about barley too and yeah. you know in this area you know the wineries are yeah. really popping up but so are mm-hmm. these micro breweries mm-hmm. and they're really looking for a barley source um, so you know that's been kind of beneficial for a few guys yeah. um, we're able to take it off a little bit sooner a couple weeks before wheat Yep. So we get an opportunity for a longer seeding window for our summer covers, or mm-hmm. if we went in there with a double crop soybean. Mm-hmm. Uh, and some guys are actually capitalizing on the straw, barley yep. straw, and selling it to people to throw into their lakes and stuff yeah. yes. to help control algae. Yep. Yep. Uh, and oh. we're talking like $10 a bale for a small square. Oh, no, we're talking. <laughs> they probably don't need about. You bet. They so probably, you're, yeah, they probably don't need 50 tons, but even so, that's. That's a nice, you know, just do a field. There you go. Well, one, yeah, there's one guy that had a contract with the state, so he was making okay, ah. I'm sure. Oh, good. Uh, as long as the state was paying their bills. Well, oh, okay. Well, that's right. You're from Illinois, but I guess I'll leave it there. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, uh, no, that's, see, I love what you said there, uh, David, because what I heard was innovation. You know, I heard some innovation from different farmers and, and actually, the malting barley, uh, I'm glad you mentioned that because i am actually been growing that the last two years. Uh, and it's we're not a good area to grow barley, but they want the local stuff. They want the local stuff for these local craft beers. And, and, and it's just like 15 years ago, you couldn't have given it to anybody. Uh, you know, so, that, so these are some opportunities that are cropping up that are, all, that are really good. Uh, other comments? Yeah. Uh, one more. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, even uh, for the cattle feed side, uh, or, mm-hmm. or feed in general, barley's really good feed that, yeah. um, you yeah. know, can help supplement some of the corn out there, yeah. too. Yeah, yeah, right. So. I see, Stephanie, your mic is on. Is, is on. you have a comment? Um, actually, I do. I was, uh, I, I'm interested in what you said about how, you know, that you said that wheat isn't going to give us as much profit as, as corn or soybeans, yet I know I've, in in the past few years, especially when I was working up in Minnesota, had had worked with numerous farmers who felt that because of the yields that they could get with their wheat mm-hmm. and the fact that the input cost for the wheat mm-hmm. was so much less than corn that they mm-hmm. felt that that was their profitable crop mm-hmm. on some of those years where, where corn prices yeah. weren't that great. Um, and so I always think that um, I feel like people saying, well, you don't make any money with weed or it's not very profitable. I feel like that's just an excuse people look at saying because because we just assume that those costs for corn are just, well, that's yes. the standard of how we do it. And and so yes. I really feel like we need to push that assumption out of the way and yes. really look at it. And I know that it, it is not this. I mean, what you get for weed is not the same as yeah. what we get for corn when we're selling right. that. But again, I think there's innovative options for going out mm-hmm. there and, and mm-hmm. when you can sell your straw that adds that profit mm-hmm. to the straw a yes. lot more than anyone thinks absolutely about. absolutely and and i would just add a little bit that it you know wheat's going to take less nitrogen than corn uh it's but it's also probably almost consistently less herbicides uh at least cost per mm-hmm. acre which the, yeah. the farmers don't tend to think about that because they just don't know it's like ah they just look at the price and they say they, they do the math of the bushels and they don't think that it's actually cost of production is lower. Um, now you can get your some you can get some money wrapped up in it for some of these high intensive managed wheat with multiple fungicides and all that. I'm not going to get into that today. 
uh, because some some farmers, you know, they'll they push the pencil and they they really you know stay in, on top of that kind of stuff. But no, that's a great great point you made there, Stephanie. So I want to move on here um, just to kind of wrap up, and then you will have, have some more questions. Uh, but I have a few things listed that will help us kind of navigate if you're going to do this. What are some things to know? Well, first of all, is manure being applied or not? That's a big question, and it doesn't happen on a lot of farms. But if uh, manure is applied or, or the field is high in fertility, you want to use a cover crop mix that that basically scavenges nitrogen, the radishes, oats, and your ryegrass, circumstantial grass. Some of them uh, would 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 be or would would be appropriate or you know kind of tilt your mix toward that now if there's zero nitrogen there you want to lean it more toward legumes and uh, some of the more popular ones over the summer is sun hemp cowpeas uh, crimson clover and hairy vetch i will tell you that crimson clover and hairy vetch that you may have been used to overwintering if you plant it like in summer It'll grow and it'll really, really grow then in the fall, but it'll probably winter kill. If it gets over a foot or 14 inches tall, it'll probably winter kill. So some people have been a little disappointed thinking that their their uh, winter annuals were going to overwinter. But if you plant them early, uh, that's uh, something to watch out for. And of course, you need to think about what your intended crop is for next year. If it is corn, you want to lean it more toward legumes to provide some more nitrogen if it's for if it's soybeans you want to lean it a little bit more toward grasses so that's just kind of a, a technical thing of how to make uh, use of it as far as the timing this is some decisions that need to be made when you plant your uh, your cover crop after the small grain harvest so most of the time <clears throat> I would say you want to plant it ASAP as soon as the straws out of the field as soon as the combine leaves the field um, there, there are a few things to consider, though. Again, what is your objective? Uh, one of the things that one of the choices is to wait two weeks to clean up volunteer small grain or any weeds that may be growing or maybe uh, tiny and spindly. Uh, because depending on how your small grain crop was, I mean, I've seen anything from zero weeds to it's green with weeds. Uh, there's a lot of factors go into that. So if you have a lot of weeds there, you want to spray them out. And it's it's good to leave them grow uh, 10 days or two weeks after harvest so they kind of start regrowing and can be able to be killed better. And then also, if you are uh, going to go after perennial weeds, you have to let them grow for four, six weeks sometimes. Uh, so that, there's something you have to manage. Uh, is the whole field uh, perennial weed problem or is it just spots? Should you plant the whole field and cover crop and then come back and just spray out those spots that are perennial weed, killing your cover crop as well in there? These are like little things that nobody talks about when you're at meetings, but I've been there. I've done it, and I'm trying to make these decisions. Uh, if it's me, I always try to have something growing. Uh, for instance, in my uh, wheat fields this year, about 10% of the areas had some grass growing. It's because we had a lot of rain. Uh, back there in May, and it, it was able to get germinated at that point. And I didn't, when, when I come back with my cover crop, I didn't want that that four, six inch high grass to smother out my cover crop. So I literally spot sprayed my field uh, be right when I planted the cover crop so that wouldn't hinder my cover crop. It's just a little pro tip right there on what you need to do uh, for that. So, um, just wanted to show you this picture here, this next picture. I, I actually took this picture this morning uh, because it illustrates one of the points here um, that I'm trying to say with 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 the cover crops, volunteer, and so forth. So uh, basically, uh, this picture will come up here soon. There's a little bit of delay. But uh, basically, in the back of my combine, if you see the center part of that picture is where the windrow was. Now, this was black oats. Black oats has light seed, and this I was harvesting this for seed production to sell as a cover crop. So I had to fan speed, we'll say, at a little higher setting. I wanted to blow out the light kernels anyway, and, and, and I'm bailing my straw. So right there in the windrow, I have a pretty good 
volunteer oats coming up. And if you can, if you can kind of look at that picture, you can see how the the mixed cover crop was there doesn't quite look as lethargic. Look look as good. It's a little lethargic. The oats is taking up available nitrogen, um, but in this case here, we've had, a, as you guys probably know, we've had a lot of rain, so everything grew. Um, now, this field was very clean. There wasn't, I mean, I hardly did any spot spraying at all. But I wanted to get a cover crop planted here because I intend to cut this for forage, make a one-cut forage uh, out of this. That's what I'm going to do. And that's just another thing I'm going to mention briefly later on, that if you have an opportunity for forage, this is another reason to use small grains. So uh, my thought is in about two to three weeks, we'll say three weeks, this will be ready to cut, and I'm going to have some pretty good quality uh, forage there uh, with, with what's regrowing. So, yeah, it looks a little bit streaky there with the windrows and everything, but you know, it's kind of like it's compromise, and I'm okay with this in this situation here. Uh, how that will translate onto my corn or whatever I plant here next year, I'm not exactly sure right now. But I just want to show you that. That's actually a picture I just took this morning on my farm um, and just show you how that, how that works. So <clears throat> just getting a little bit more specific here on what species to plant. There are definitely lots and lots of options. Uh, on what you can plant. Uh, some of the more popular ones uh, that you're probably familiar with anyway, sun hemp, sorghum, sedan grass, uh, millet, radish, buckwheat, cowpeas, oats, and there's a lot of other ones out there. I, I mean, I planted a 12-way mix that actually had okra in it. And if you haven't heard, okra is kind of like the new, uh, what would you say, cutting-edge cover crop mix over the summer. You may say, well, why okra? Well, it's 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 because it has a really good tap root for a uh, for a summer growing plant. So uh, we'll see. It's the first I planted. I got 44 acres of it, uh, and uh, it's it's not that thick. Uh, but anyway, it's just part of the mix there. So another example is uh, just wanted to show you a picture of what sorghum, sedan grass, sun hemp, and radish looks like. This is a really good one because you have the quick growth of the sun hemp and sorghum, sedan. Uh, and then you have the radishes that come on later at frost. After the first frost, this is a picture of what happens. After the first frost, those two summer annuals get, get killed from the frost and the radishes come to life. And one of the probably the, one of the more popular basic mixes that are out there. And, and if you're interested in seeding rates, um, I have some listed. Uh, but basically, you'd want to plant them about two months before the average first killing frost. Now, if you're later in your small grain harvest, this is not an option here to plant this. So uh, you're, if you're looking for weed suppression, you need to up the rates um, accordingly, and I just have them there. But you don't upgrade the radish rate. Never go over three pounds of radish because uh, it'll just be too much. So that's why that rate is uh, maintained the same there. Um, Another popular one, and this is more easier to do, is just radishes and oats, where they're going to be winter killed and in most areas of the country. So it just provides uh, an opportunity for someone just starting out to try this. I always recommend that as, as like the starter uh, because it's so easy if, if a 12-way mix intimidates uh, someone. So um, anyway. One of the things about radishes is that, and you saw that data earlier on there, how it really does show uh, advantages, is the ability for them to actually do what you see all the pictures of them. Uh, one of the biggest things that I heard when I was in the seed business is, is people will plant them and they don't have this three-inch diameter tuber uh, and sticking up out of the ground six inches. And they think they don't have anything if they have if they don't have that. Well, that's not really true. The taproot really goes down there, but you got to give it some time. And even though uh, I'll just stick on radishes a second here, even though the radishes do a lot of good things and they don't have to grow like big, big, big. But if you really want radishes to uh, kind of like maximize their potential, potential, 
you're going to either have to have a really short season corner bean or else after small grain. So this is that opportunity to take advantage of all the great things that radishes do. Um, and, and that's just a picture I have right there. Of we found roots six feet, two inches deep uh, when we dug out soil pits. The first couple of years I was digging soil pits, I wasn't digging them deep enough because we found roots even lower. And I've been mentioning here about uh, double crop soybeans. Um, I know uh, Jen Nelson's on here from Delaware. That's a big part of their program. I'm not really, uh, I guess you'd say, uh, going against them down there. But uh, I don't know, Jen, what's your opinion here on, on double crop soybeans, even in your area that's further south? Uh, do you have a comment um, on that? Well, I had a question okay. with it because um, most people do um, have double crop soybeans if they have small grains over the winter, right? So mm. when you're planning, um, well, even I think just in a corn and soybean rotation more than mm. that is like uh, if you're if you have a corn and bean rotation, when do you fit legumes in a mix? Right. You know, because you're either coming off of soybeans or you're going or you're coming off of corn like so you're mm -hmm. if you're coming off of corn you're trying to uh capture nitrogen mm -hmm. uh that you don't need for your soybeans if you're coming off of soybeans you're also trying to capture nitrogen sure. you know the sure. leftover from your soybeans going into yeah. corn so like yeah. i've always wondered about that well i mean i guess i was going to ask you the question too do you know of any farmers in your area i mean you're you're kind of really solidly into double crop soybeans after small grains. Is there any farmers who are actually switching to cover crops, looking at the big picture? Is there anybody doing that? I I don't know of anybody that's okay. doing that. Well, yeah. I, yeah, I understand that. Now, up my way, you know, it's it's becoming, there's there's more and more every year. There's more and more, but you're a little further south, and uh, and that's where, you know, the decision makes is, is a little bit different. Um regarding that so uh but yeah the question does your, your question is is still out there how do you get legumes into the rotation and i guess my answer to you knowing a little bit about your area is you get your corn off in pretty good time end of august beginning of september and there would be plenty of time to plant a hairy vetch or a crimson clover at that point um is that is that an option is that part of an answer to your question but then you're going into soybeans oh, the next year. Oh, I see. So, okay. Yeah, so you're kind of stacking the, the legume. Well, I don't know. Maybe there's a compromise there to, to mix a little legume with, with a cereal rye and using that legume to help grow the cereal rye. Uh, but then again, you probably have some people who are spreading poultry litter, right? That they. I, kinda, I have people who are doing a little bit of everything. Yeah, yeah well... So. Yeah, I don't know. Again, maybe this is where cover crop mixes would come in there a little bit stronger. Um, yeah. It might be something to, to think a little bit about. But uh, so good question. Well, I'm going to um, kind of wrap up here just saying that uh, there are opportunities with small grains. They uh, definitely, I had mentioned they could add forage as a, as a potential forage opportunity for some of you, uh, something that I've certainly done. Uh, less herbicides and less fertilizer. Uh, generally, when you look at this, just very basically, that is true. But for some people who are, I say, really kind of ramping this up and really taking advantage of it, I know for myself, I, I that's one that's one point I have about not planting the double crop soybeans, where I um, are able to plant. Now this. This picture here is taken again this morning. This was after wheat. This is a 12-way mix. And yeah, there's okra in there somewhere. Uh, but uh, uh, this, uh, what, I, what I am going to be doing is taking one cutting off for forage to sell to my Amish neighbors. Actually, you can see his silo there in the background. I tried to convince him to bring his, his heifers out to graze that. And you know, he just didn't want to do it. Um, so... I'm going to cut it off and wrap it as high moisture and, and put the bales there for him. Then I'm going to leave it grow. It'll grow back, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping, two to three feet tall, so I have a good cover over the winter. So that's just some example of why I am no longer growing double crop soybeans. I have, I have, a, I have I think, a better way for the soil. Even I think it works out better for me from an economic standpoint 
And man, it's just good to have all that diversity there. That just makes me smile when I see that. And I this field's right by my house. Every morning I get up when the sun comes up, I see this. And it's just, again, it's just like, it is a good feeling. I don't know if some of you can relate to that or not, but I do. Uh, so uh, uh, that, I don't know, that's worth something in itself. But finally here, I want to give uh, a, a, an option that may may really get some people interested, and that is to grow your own cover crop seed. Uh, for those who are into cover crops, uh, growing cereal rye, triticale, and oats, some of the easiest seeds there are to grow. And I, I know that um, um, uh, David from uh, Illinois, I see he's off now, but he had said that there was, uh, before, the, before we started recording here in the, in the beginning, he had mentioned that some farmers in Illinois are actually growing red clover as for seed production. And maybe you even want to get to the point where you sell seed to your neighbor. If you do that, go back to the webinar and look about how you do that legally. There's some things to know. But this could be an option uh, to, to plant a field for your own needs or for your neighbors. Or you can even grow for a company. Uh, there's some there's some things you got to do to make that happen, right? But um, I think this in itself would be maybe more one of the more compelling reasons to try to add some cover crops uh, into your farm and maximize your opportunity by creating that wind up with, with small grains. So I'm going to open it up for questions, but I want to. I'm really excited to share uh, what we have coming up for next week here. I am going to uh, add. Uh, a little di different dynamic to our weekly webinars. I'm going to start interviewing cover crop experts. Uh, and I'm going to start with Dr. Ray Weil. Dr. Ray Weil is at the University of Maryland, and uh, he influenced and impacted me greatly. <clears throat> He's the one who brought what later became the Tilly Dratties to my farm. Uh, and uh, this is this my farm is where I like to call it the birthplace of the tillage radish, but it was because of Dr. Ray Wild. Uh, and so I'm going to have him on live. Uh, and we have other ones. I have other ones um, beginning to get their dates uh, coordinated here. As you can imagine, it's a little challenge to do all that. But uh, I want them live because I want you guys to be able to ask them questions directly. I mean, how many chances do you get to ask some of these people questions? Uh, or else just to hear them again or some of you... You know, a lot of these will will be familiar names uh, to you. And I want to get some people who can cover some areas that I'm not as uh, experienced with. Like I've been requested a couple times to talk about how to grow cover crops in, uh, you know, high saline soils where salinity is a problem. I have a guest I'm working on to get assigned to do that. So I'm calling this the Ask the Expert series. So but because of scheduling, I can't promise it'll be like once a month. It may be back to back sometimes. It may be nobody for a couple of weeks, but um, but I'm really excited about that. I'm really excited about this. So wanted to let you know that, but also also um, want to just wrap up today here. Any comments on today's topic um, about growing small grains in a, in a way to maximize cover crops? Are there, any questions that anybody has or comments out there? This is Brent Larson for Dodge, Iowa. I've got a, a comment and then a couple of questions. Yep. Um, yes, we can definitely grow cover crop seed. We're doing that on our own farm for our own use. And that's that's an interesting foray. Um, the, the question about how to integrate cover crops or a small grain into a corn bean rotation, mm -hmm. um, that I think Jen asked, but I think that the answer to that is in our area anyway of north central Iowa in predominantly row crop uh, world is it requires a paradigm shift mm -hmm. to where we, we we like you mentioned Steve mm -hmm. farmers don't see the value in in small grains they just write them off yeah initially yeah they, they, you know, we can't do it we don't grow yep. them here because it doesn't work well mm -hmm. it it's going to require a paradigm shift for people in my area and, and mm -hmm. in our own personal farm yep. excellent um, point mm -hmm. The two questions I have, um, specifically looking at your oats that fell out behind your combine. Yep. Um, I, someone just mentioned to me yesterday the integrated Harrington seed destructor from from Australia. Yes. It actually is like a a, a mill or a, yes. a hammer mill that 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 pulverizes the seeds into like flour out the back and correct. So you have no seeds coming out the back. Does anyone? 
have that or have any experience with that or, you know, comment on that? Anybody on here have experience? I, I know about it, Brent, but does anybody have experience with that? No. Okay. Um, I, yeah, I, I think, is it available in the U.S. now, Brent? It doesn't It doesn't look like it's not, but okay. it, it looks like it's probably, I'm guessing, a $20,000 add-on mm. to a, you know, to a newer, you know, powerful combine. Mm -hmm. um, it would take some serious acres to, mm -hmm. to amortize that cost over, but if, you know, 2,000 acre or more, mm -hmm. you know, row crop farmer, you know, had that mm -hmm. equipment already. Yeah. And they were doing cover crops. You know, I've you know, been to some meetings mm -hmm. um, around the country where some people have several thousand acres. It seems like almost a no-brainer to pulverize any yeah. seed coming out of your combine to get ahead yeah. of it. Yeah. And and the, the reason they're doing it in Australia is basically because of the herbicide-resistant weeds uh, that they just can't kill. And they're trying to keep the weed population down by that very thing. And so... Uh, I don't, I'm not aware. I, it seems to me, I think I saw it might be available here in the U.S., but I, I, I wouldn't be sure. You said the, the brand name was Harrington? Uh, yeah, it integrated Harrington. Uh, Mr. Oh. Harrington okay. uh, discovered it. It's IHSD.com. Okay. okay. And when I hover over dealers, it, does, it, does, it only has Australia, so maybe yeah. you're correct. It's maybe yeah. Still not in a, in yep. Internet. I know that's pretty much where I believe it was invented, so. Oh, My other ahead. question was, yes. uh, we have a, a cover crop field, 25 acres that we, uh, Practical Farmers of Iowa mm -hmm. is encouraging people like me to put uh, rye in and then mm -hmm. frost seed in um, some clover and then leave the clover as green manure for next year's corn. Mm -hmm. uh, that, that field you know, obviously had a grass and a broadleaf, so it had no herbicide. So the mm -hmm. weeds were, were, were pretty, pretty thick because okay. we had a terrible growing season to start yeah. off. Yeah. With we had snow in April, and as yeah. soon as it warmed up, the weeds and the rye got rolling. Yep. So we got the cover crop seed harvested. Now the the rye the uh, clover is coming on really nicely, and, mm -hmm. and so and so are the the weeds, especially yeah. the marestad. So my question is, can we cut that here the last week of August and still get significant enough regrowth of the clover to provide 100 pounds of end for 2019's corn crop? Um. I'll provide, okay, anybody else have a quick comment, and then I'll give you a perspective. Anybody else give a quick comment on that? I know we have some farmers here in Indiana that are doing that, and they take it for one cutting, um, and they've had really good success with that, and they are seeing nitrogen bumps for the next year. Um, but that is a difference in, in, in geography and elevation. So I can uh, get you those people's names if you'd like to ask them some questions. I would love to. Okay, I'll I'll okay, get, all right. if you guys have each other's I can hook you up. Um I'll just make a note of it Sounds here. Narson and Stephanie. Okay. Um that my comment, Brent, is I'm not sure if if you could account on one hundred pounds of nitrogen from the red clover next year, but it is as Stephanie said, it's common practice to uh to take a cutting in the fall if you have enough growth and everything for hay and then it regrows really nicely uh for for the next uh spring so i think the theory is absolutely dead on and you want to you want to take that mare's tail out before it uh goes to seed and if you have a lot of mare's tail you may just want to rotary mill it or something just to trim it down but even if you're trimming the the red clover at that time it that's actually probably good for it uh, and maybe we'll enhance it. Uh, whether you get 100 pounds or not, I wouldn't count on that, uh, at least the first year. Uh, that's that's my my little caveat to that. Okay, yeah. Hey, Steve? I, I have no idea about clover husbandry, so I don't know how how high or low we should we should cut it, but I, I mm -hmm. feel like we need to get that mare's tail cut mm -hmm. out of there and allow the, the clover to come back. Go ahead, Stephanie. I was going to say, I think you were kind of on the right trail with that, because if you think about that red clover uh, growing right now, um, if it does go to fl flower, typically our, our yep. legumes plants kind of reduce mm -hmm. their nitrogen production right. as they go into their reproductive state. By right. So by cutting it, you might actually keep it more yep. in that, you will keep it in that vegetative state and, and likely uh, keep the nitrogen production going yep. and hopefully maybe increase what you can get yep. uh, so that it's go it's kind of going and keeping moving for next year. Agreed. Um, that totally. would be another way to think about that. Yeah. Agreed. If you're looking for a cutting height, 
I would target six inches, four to six inches, Brent, uh, okay. because you don't want to get too much cut off to make a mat of residue. You want it just uh, and high enough so that the residue you do cut off, that then it can kind of regrow out of that. Uh, that's my thought. Um, again, that's just without seeing the field. Um, yeah. So is there any more follow-up on that? That's That's a great question. Okay, any other questions from anybody about our topic or any other cover crop question you might have this week? Go ahead, Steve. Stephanie. I'm wondering about the, um, thank you, <laughs> uh, about the opportunities for growing that cover crop seed. Um, yes. I'm just curious about anybody else out there uh, having this experience where if you are buying cover crop seed, um, mm -hmm. especially if you are maybe a larger vendor, are you having trouble getting quotes from from people selling cover crop seed because it's in such high demand or you know thinking about that as again an, another economic source for you that um, Steve said earlier nitrogen is a, a decent price right now but it might be high yeah. that's the same argument for cover crop seed mm -hmm. um, and this might be a mm -hmm. year where we see prices of cover crop seed going mm -hmm. up and so if you are growing your own you're saving mm -hmm. yourself that yeah. extra cost so when I do think that this has been a year that's high yeah, Wayne, do you, are you still on, Wayne? I know Wayne's involved in uh, cover crop seed a little bit. If you're on, Wayne, I wouldn't mind you commenting on uh, any shortages you see on cover crops, uh, particularly with the grains that are easy to grow. Do you have any perspective? I, I do then when you're done. Yeah, there. You're, you're, I, I missed part of your question there. I had actually answered a phone call Understood. there. You were saying, mm -hmm. yeah, you were saying cover crops seed. Yeah, is there any shortages you're seeing this year? Is there any opportunity? Basically, yes. the question is: Is there opportunities for farmers to grow their own seed because yes. of the shortage? Okay, I yes, there's I a agree. huge shortage of triticale right now. Right. Um, in fact, I had orders for almost 100,000 pounds that I'm not sure I'm going to be able to fill. Mm -hmm. Yep. And that's a that's a winter forage type triticale. Obviously, fridge is probably mm -hmm. the most common one. Mm -hmm. Um, we had a grower grow for us in Kansas this year. He doubled his acres from last year, mm -hmm. from 300 acres to 600 acres, but they were really dry and ended up mm -hmm. probably not getting as much as he even did last year. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, I'm trying to get some out of Montana here, mm -hmm. which should be harvested here probably next week, but mm -hmm. everybody's all over it. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. the price has almost doubled um, just this year alone on triticale. Wow. Uh, cereal rye? Cereal rye is a short supply as well, not as bad as triticale. Mm -hmm. um, we're still able to get it. We're actually buying out of Canada right now for that. Um, triticale is coming. There, there's crop in Canada for triticale this year. It's not harvested yet. won't be harvested probably for another two weeks. Mm -hmm. um, but they're saying they've been very dry and they don't expect it to be real, real great. So. Well, that pretty much mirrors what I've been hearing. Um, I was uh, just in uh, Albuquerque, New Mexico this past week. Uh, I actually saw some cover crop innovator people there, which was cool. But uh, yeah, the yeah. word on the street is there's shortages of cereal rye and triticale. So it's exactly right, Wayne. And to your point, Stephanie, boy, if farmers would have, would have, you know, it's too late to wind back the clock, but if they, there would have been great opportunity I'll, I'll pretty yeah. much guarantee you more money to be made in growing cover crop seed this year than any corn or soybeans will ever give you. Uh, now, we didn't know that a year ago. I'm just saying. But yeah. that could spill into next year. You, the market can – the guys who are into this can can react fairly quickly. But as Wayne said, there was large areas of the growing reason was dry plus the increased demand in spite of low commodity prices, I will add. Uh, the yeah. demand is there, and and I know last week Risa said the same thing. Uh, she's with uh, Grassland Oregon. There's there going to be some shortages this year, and coupled with that, our topic what two weeks ago, how what to do about an earlier than expected harvest, which it looks like mm -hmm. that's coming to fruition in some significant areas of the Corn Belt. So I do predict yeah. that there will be shortages. And that's driving a lot of demand, Steve. We're mm -hmm. the large parts of the corn belt are between two to three weeks early, mm -hmm. and everybody's like, "Hey, now I got a bigger window. I can plant yep. cover crop." I know. Well, we just we try to tell our guys buy early, get your cover <laughs> crop seed 
secured early because yeah. you wait till the last minute and you're but, you come up short. But to play devil's advocate, Wayne, that's what all cover crop salesmen say. They just yeah, you I know, know, I know. But I've but but I've I've that's part of the tactic. And you got to get your stuff ordered because you never know, you know, when there's going to be a shortage and so forth. So that's why it's so important to have a good relationship with your dealer to to actually do what you said. So I was joking there, but I just had to say that. Yeah. I don't know if anybody on this call, I don't know what are, what areas everybody's from, but annual ryegrass is another one that's yeah. very short this year. It's almost non-existent. Yeah. So. Uh, that's, it's good to mention annual ryegrass is tough to grow. Oh, uh, that's, yeah. that's, that's not your like go you know easy cover crop to grow. Pretty yeah, I know. Have to swath that's why I said I don't know who's on here. But. Right, I don't see anybody on it. Is but for, for whatever it's worth, annual ryegrass is it's is it up fifty percent for the price, Wayne? Bob out from last yeah, year. Yeah, it might be up even more than that. Yeah. We we had bought a bunch last yeah. year and then had left over and mm-hmm. turned around and sold it back mm-hmm. to a big distributor in Oregon good. and mm-hmm. yeah, oh good. Good. And we made we actually made good money on it just sitting yeah. on it for a couple months. Yeah, so. well, it works out sometimes. But, and, yeah, I went back to buy it, and he said, "Nope, I don't have any, none." Wow, wow. So yeah, well, that's just the, the nature of it. Go ahead. I had heard from someone that uh, it's uh, where cereal rye is being harvested up in Canada that they're actually feeding it to some of their livestock, in particular uh, pigs. Now, have you guys heard that? Nope. Okay, that was a, there was somebody that was that had been purchasing seed and and that some of that is now being used to feed to to pigs. So I I think that's an interesting one, an interesting source of a food source for a livestock. But again, another demand on that grain wow. uh, from from other people that's out there. Good. So that was something I was going to try to follow up on and see if that was really the case. That's good to know. That's good to know. I never heard that's that. That's interesting. I wonder why they're feeding it to pigs. The the biggest if it has something. To... Go on. No, no. Finish your comment there, Stephanie. I think it has something maybe to do with the meat color. Really? Uh, so there's a. There's actually. That's, oh wow, that's interesting. I never heard that. See, most of the 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 competition for cereal rye is a lot of it with flour for rye bread. Uh, now that's not a big yeah. market, but still, in the context of, of worldwide demand, it, it takes up quite a few acres. So when 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 there's plenty of a flower type rye that just gets dumped into the cover crop market. No big deal. Yeah. Uh, but, but now uh, that's, that's interesting. If they found something that cereal rye does for a desirable meat production, that's, that's, that's going to be interesting. I'll just say this rye is easy to grow. Uh, if that, if there is solid demand that will be met, I would say uh, relatively soon if that's the case. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Uh, Brent is asking here, where does most of the annual ryegrass seed come from? I would say, Wayne, you correct me if I'm wrong, but 90% comes out of the Willamette Valley of Oregon. Is that close? Yeah, a lot of it does. But there's also some being – pretty much is being grown in northern Minnesota too now. Oh, okay. Uh, some going on up there. But, yeah, Oregon's kind of the mm-hmm. the popular place for it. Yeah. And it's just per- pretty much because of the weather. It needs to have fairly – dry weather over the summer um you 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 want to be able to swath it so if you're swathing anything you don't want much rain uh, that can really messes you up and just the special equipment that it needs because it's such a light seed and the knowledge is just how to set your combines and little additional parts to your combines to make it work right and seed cleaning that's why the whole industry pretty much seed industry developed in willamette valley because of the weather they have there and that birthed the seed industry then, uh, because that's the place to grow a lot of these grasses. Um, so anyway, that's the answer to your question there, Brett. But um, well, this has been an awesome discussion. Um, I appreciate uh, appreciate your your uh, involvement today. I would be open to one more question if you have it, but uh, it's about time to wrap this up. Any other questions? Anybody? I have one last comment. Okay, you're the I one. Think the- I think the early harvest that driving our demand for cover crops this year, I think we're going to want to keep an eye on it because usually if demand is going up because of an early harvest, this is someone who probably hasn't adopted cover crops fully yet. And all of a sudden this might be a negative experience for them. 
Oh, the price is so high because yeah. they're jumping in at the last well, minute. I think that's something that we're going to really need to, to you know, get those people to come back and say, hey, this was just mm -hmm. a bad year. You jumped in mm -hmm. late. I just feel yeah. that that's going to be an opportunity for really negative experiences for newcomers. Yeah, well, to your point, I hear you. But to your point, I was, I was going to say this a couple times in the last 15 minutes in our discussion here, but farmers are primed like never before to buy to, to do cover crops so yes in a way in a way it's like for those of us who are you know excited to see the cover crop acres increase this is the kind of season we've been waiting for uh but i also hear the reality for some farmers they're going to say oh i can plant cover crops oh they're really expensive or i can't even get it so yeah we'll have to deal with that that's that's what yep. we, that's what we as educators and trainers do so um, just explaining it to them and they'll, you know, that helps them get ready for the next time or whatever. So, I agree. Yeah. Well, on that note, thanks again for your time today. I appreciate all the questions. We certainly had a lot of them today. Um, and uh, I hope you can join next week with my interview.